Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ruth chapter 2, as we consider God's wonderful favor that is displayed. And on this Sunday that is known as Palm Sunday, a time of remembering the triumphal entry, I seriously considered going to other passages, but in meditating upon the section where we are in Ruth, it is, is a, a con, just a great illustration of God's grace that we see in Christ's coming. So I trust as we look at this and continue where we have been in Ruth that it will help us in, in seeing the tremendous favor that is displayed for us as sinners saved by grace. If you're using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 185 as we have been looking at this, this short book, but a tremendous book of seeing the grace of God. If I were to ask you for a word that would identify you, what would come to your mind? What word identifies you? I mean, what would capture or communicate the, the position of your life, the essence of your life, where you are right now? Or maybe a, another way to look at it is if we were to ask your friends or maybe your spouse, what word would they use? Maybe we don't want to go there recently heard of somebody heard their testimony and they they were asked that question and they said the word that that described their life was depressed and then to see how God worked I think if if we were to ask Naomi in this book she actually tells us at the end of chapter one that as she comes back to Bethlehem and, and they say is this Naomi and her name means pleasant she says don't call me that call me bitter because that described her life you know, sometimes people who are in the throes of bitterness don't even recognize it in themselves. But others do. There, there's, there's just that gloom that hangs over them. And, it, and it's sad when that takes place. But there are times that the, the circumstances of life truly are bitter. That Christ drank that bitter cup, as was sung about just a moment ago, for us that we might live. What I want us to consider this morning, though, is God's wonderful favor that is displayed. We see that in this passage. We see it in the coming of Christ. We, we see it in His triumphal entry and then His crucifixion and resurrection. We've been doing a, a study of this book. You can read this short book, the four chapters, 85 verses in less than 15 minutes. But understanding the cultural ramifications, unpacking the implications, and then making practical application takes much more than that. Because we're, we're 3,400 years removed from when these events took place. And we don't really see it through the eyes of those who would have been experiencing it. Chapter 1 of Ruth paints a very bleak picture. There's a famine in the land that causes a man named Elimelech to take his family. They go from the city of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, and from the promised land, the land of promise, to the land of Moab, a pagan country, a, a place that, where they worshipped other gods, false gods, pagan gods. 
And it was a pragmatic decision, but whatever his reasons, he really was playing with fire and with the spiritual lives of his family. You know, pragmatic decisions have unforeseen consequences. Elimelech didn't plan for this to be long-term. It was just a short stay in his mind, and you see that in the opening verses. But that's not what happens. He ends up dying there. His sons get older, and they marry women of Moab, Moabite women. And then they, too, die in Moab. And so his wife is left a widow in a foreign land with no offspring. Chapter 1 is a picture of despair, death, of, of really lack. Those are not words we would want to use to identify us. Not comforting words to be identified. And then Naomi hears that there's food back in Israel, and so she decides to return. And she encourages her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. She said, there's nothing for you. I I can offer you nothing. Don't come with me. One of them stays, but one of them comes with her. It was a sad picture because here Naomi is encouraging them to go back to their pagan gods. She says, go back to your family and your gods. And Ruth says no. And so she comes back. And at the end of chapter 1, in verse 20, the the question in Bethlehem is, Naomi, is that you? Don't call me that. Call me bitter, Mara, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Yet the Almighty is actually working and is going to bestow His wonderful favor, His generous blessings on Ruth and Naomi. We considered the words of the hymn a couple of weeks ago, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Charles Spurgeon said, Providence is a soft pillow for an anxious head. What a great truth, if we can grasp it. That God is in control and he can be trusted. Chapter 1 actually concludes with the window starting to open of hope as they come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And chapter 1 reveals God's frowning providence. Chapter 2 begins to show His smiling face. And so two weeks ago, we, as we considered this, we were introduced to a new character to this story, a man named Boaz. And when you jump to the end of the story in chapter 4, you learn that Ruth and Boaz get married. They have a child who becomes the grandfather to King David. It's, a, it's an exciting ending, but we're not there yet. Because before all that happened, Ruth and Boaz have to meet. And if that isn't enough, the acquaintance alone, there has to be some level of attraction so that they can get married. And here's where we see the providential control of God, bringing these two together. And yet the way that it is written, the way the Holy Spirit breathes out the Word of God, it's an understatement of the meeting to emphasize God's working. So while chapter 2 begins with that chance meeting, the bulk of the chapter really focuses on the wonderful illustration of the grace of God. And that's what I want us to consider on this Palm Sunday. I was struck by this Old Testament illustration of God's grace and how we see it displayed in the sacrifice of Christ for our salvation. What I want us to see this morning is that God graciously extends His favor to those who will trust in Him. 
That's the theme that we're going to find in this passage, and I want us to consider as we look at it this morning. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. We'll read through the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2. Now, Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she came and sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she arose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let grain fall from the bundles, fall purposefully for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephath of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and, and she brought out and gave her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed is the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out and work with his young women, and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz and gleaned until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would have receptive hearts to see your working in our lives that we would reflect upon your amazing grace and favor that is bestowed upon Ruth and Naomi through Boaz and see how you have bestowed your grace upon us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would be identified by words that bring you honor and glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 2 picks up where chapter 1 leaves off, but it, it really it picks up in verse 2. Verse 1 is just kind of inserted there as a foreshadowing, the, a new character. As we mentioned, Boaz is introduced, and, and the plot is drawing the attention to God's providential control. As we've considered, and just to very quickly review, God's direction results in Ruth and Boaz making the acquaintance with one another. We considered that a couple of weeks ago. The, the initiative of Ruth was to go out and find food. She said, let me go into the field and and just pick up what's dropped. But it was the intervention of the Lord that directs her to the field of Boaz. You know, if you want to know God's will, get moving. Ruth didn't just sit around and say, well, if, if, if I get a special vision, then I'll go out. She said, let me go do something. And she's seeking to work to help her mother-in-law to deal with their situation and and not sitting around. And verse 3 of chapter 2 says, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. The King James puts it this way, her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. You know, it's an interesting word because we don't talk like that. 
mean, when's the t- last time you used the word hap in normal conversation? But for me, it highlights the, what God is doing, and this chance meeting is really God's direction. The word hap is actually a, a Middle English word coming from the Old Norse dialect. It means fortune or chance or happening. So, so Ruth happed to go to the field of Boaz. And Boaz happed to come to that field when Ruth was working. And he happed to no, notice her. You know, there's a lot of haps happening here. Dr. Panosian, who taught uh, many history classes, several that I took, made the statement, whatever happens, nothing just happens. God is at work. God in his grace brings them together. But it's not enough to just make an acquaintance. There has to be an attraction. And what we see, secondly, considered was godly character results in both Ruth and Boaz being attracted to each other. This was a character. It wasn't a superficial passion or emotion that kind of was short-circuited by... No, this was a spiritual perception. Their attraction was not merely sentimental. It's rooted in character. And we considered the character of both. And I just want to keep this before us. The character of Boaz. There are a number of things we saw, but Boaz is a man of character. First of all, we saw he showed integrity. Verse 1 said he was a man of great wealth. But it was more than money. The, the, the Hebrew word there is, is much more than that. Yes, he was a man of wealth. He had standing in the community. He owned fields. But what he had was more valuable than, than money. It really is the male equivalent to what Proverbs 31.30 says of the virtuous woman. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. This is the male statement of that. That Boaz was a man of virtue and valor. And, and he lives by integrity. You see it in his life. In fact, even in chapter 3, verse 13, when Ruth comes to him and says, you are a, a near kinsman, he says, yes, but there's one nearer than I. He's, he's pleased that she would come. He's excited that she would look to him, and he wants to marry her, but he says, but there's somebody who, who really comes before me. That reveals his integrity. He'll do what is proper. He was a man of spiritual sensitivity. He comes to the field and he says, The Lord, Yahweh, be with you. I mean, he's a man who thought about spiritual things, so he talked about spiritual things. If we think spiritually, we should be talking spiritually. He displayed respect for Ruth, a propriety, and we saw that. He he extends protection. In verse 8, in fact, if you you look at verse 8, notice what it says. As he says, listen to me. Stay close to my young women. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 14, where it says Ruth clung to Naomi, it's the same Hebrew word. It's the same verb being used there. That stay with my young women and how Ruth clung to Naomi. This is what Boaz is telling her. He's protecting her. In verse 9 of chapter 2, we find the first workplace anti-sexual harassment policy in the Bible. That's what you read. He tells his men, don't bother her. Don't you touch her. And and you see, Boaz has a biblical view of manhood. He seeks to protect and, and, and provide for women in ways that are appropriate to the varying relationships. He's not manipulative. He's not controlling. Abusive men are prideful and ungodly. That's not Boaz. He offers provision. And then he demonstrates this kindness, this benevolence. And, and Ruth even asks, why have you been kind to me? 
And so we see this in Boaz. We also saw the character of Ruth. As we mentioned, she showed initiative. She's going out to work. She displays honor both in her attitude and her speech as she's asking if she can work in the, in the field, even though the, the law allowed it. She shows a spirit of humility. She's diligent, and we'll see that t- today as well, and, and she demonstrates courage. The entire story, we see Ruth as identified by her courage and her kindness. The fact she's willing to leave her home, to go to a foreign land, to go out in a time when it's the time of the judges, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. There's not that level of protection, and yet she's willing to go because she's trusting the God of Israel. And we see that courage when she asks Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes? His comment in verse 11 is her reputation. Because she had shown compassion to her mother-in-law and courage to leave her home. And ultimately, Ruth's coming to Israel with Naomi was because she had put her trust in God. She had trusted the God of Israel. And so we see that thankfulness in her. She understands that the grace that's being bestowed upon her is undeserved. And instead of focusing on her rights and demanding them, she rejoices in God's gracious provision. That's what protects against bitterness. To look at what God is doing. So we would see Ruth as a number of words that would identify her. Courage, grace, thankfulness, humility. She's experiencing what Boaz really stated in verse 12, the reward be given by the Lord God of Israel because of what she had done. And so through this passage, and again, what what we want to see this morning is God's graciously extending his favor to those who trust in him. How does this play out? The first thing I want us to see is the grace is displayed by unexpected kindness. We see that in verses 12 and 13 as as the, the Lord repay you for your work. The full reward be given because you've come to dwell under the wings of the God of Israel. It's interesting because Boaz, from his very first statement, the first time he speaks, to the last words he speaks in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we find him showing compassion. Grace is a word that would identify Boaz. I mean, he's the human display of hesed, the loving kindness, the covenant commitment of of God, that God is a covenant-keeping God, his, his steadfast love. Boaz reveals that in human form. And through grace, you receive the comfort, and and you comfort others. It's imparting that. And and so Ruth says to Boaz, you have comforted me. It's an undeserved favor. That's verse 10. Why, Why have I found favor in your eyes? I'm a foreigner. Do we understand as we come to this time of year and consider the crucifixion of Christ, they they wanted him to be the king of the Jews, but he's the king of kings. Most of us are Gentiles. We're strangers. And we're invited to the table. This is the picture that we see here. As, As Ruth says, why have I found favor in verse 10? And then in verse 13, let me find favor in your sight. Ruth recognizes she doesn't deserve it. She's a foreigner. He's an Israelite. She's scavenging for food. He's a man of prominence. He owns the fields. And we see the statement of Boaz. In verse 12, he provides one of the most touching pictures of divine care that we find in all of Scripture. The reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings 
you have come for refuge. What a wonderful picture. You have come under his protection. You know, as a child, I I heard an illustrated gospel story. It was written by Floyd McCaug, and it illustrated the love of Christ for his people. I still remember it as a child, and I was able to find a couple of the pictures from it. The story is about a fire that swept through a prairie grassland near a farm. The farmer was able to protect his farm itself, but much of the surrounding property was burned up. After the fire had passed through, he's walking through the blackened field, and he came across the body of of one of his hens that had been killed by the fire. He gently, with his foot, nudged that corpse, and underneath there were a number of the chicks that had been protected by the wings of the mother hen. Now, while the story was fictional, the lesson illustrated is very true. Jesus Christ gave his life to save us from the torment of eternal fire. And it was through his death that we are saved. The illustration is accurate. He died that you might be saved and safe. Ruth had trusted in the God of Israel, the Yahweh, the true God, when she said, your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Well, Boaz is highlighting that protection. What a blessing to know that God is your refuge. It's interesting because David, the grandson of the child that will be born, said in Psalm 9, verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge to the oppressed, a refuge in a time of trouble. Where do you go in times of trouble? Do we go to friends? Do we, do, we, do we get upset? Do we get frustrated? Or do we go to Christ and go under his wings for that protection? Psalm 46.1, God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 62.8, trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. Are we comforted by going to the Lord? The second thing we see, though, in this passage is grace is extended by a personal invitation. You see this, as and it's interesting to see the flow of the text. As as, as Boaz has come to the field and he's met Ruth, there's been this initial interaction, and it would appear that the workers go back to work, Boaz goes his direction, and Ruth continues to pick up what's been dropped. And I think the phrasing and the, and the punctuation in the New King James accurately captures the flow of the text. Because after that initial interaction, they return to work, and then it's lunchtime. And whether Boaz calls or somebody, or somehow they stop, and I wonder what Ruth is thinking. Well, maybe I should just keep working. And all of a sudden, you know, Boaz has told his workers to take a break. And had she brought anything? Maybe she goes to get a drink because she's been told she can do that. And Boaz says to her, come here. I wonder if Ruth looked around. Who's he talking to? No, come here. That's verse 14. Come. Come here and eat of the bread and and dip your bread in the refreshing vinegar. He invites her to come and we find her sitting with the reapers. Of a foreigner. It, when you read the text over and over, it mentions she's from Moab. Yeah, we got it. But it's highlighting this is a foreigner being invited in. And it says she ate and was satisfied. I wonder how long it had been since Ruth had had all she could eat. 
oh, no, I can't have any more. But I'll take a doggy bag. Can I get a to-go box? That's what she does. She gets a to-go box and takes it to Naomi. I wonder how long it had been since she had been in that case. No, she, earlier, Boaz had told her to drink the water that his men had drawn. That's verse 9. You know, if you've ever worked out in the hot sun and, and, out, and it's, it's strenuous, there's something refreshing. You know, one of my first real jobs, I was 12 years old and a man in our church had a farm and he hired me to help with haying season. And I still remember being out there and we'd have to lift the bales off the field, put them on the wagon, we'd have to stack them on the wagon, then take them to the barn and unload them into the, the mow and then stack them again. And I still remember how refreshing it would be you know, it was a hot, dirty job. You're sweating and the chaff gets stuck to you. And, and once in a while, we'd be out there and we'd be working and, and the farmer's wife or daughter would come out with, with fresh lemonade or iced tea. Say, come over here, have a drink. Like, that was just so refreshing. Ruth has been working out in the sun and Boaz says, come here. You can drink the water the men have drawn. They, and, and, and understanding, this is really backwards. You know, Boaz workers would bring water from Bethlehem. They would have to go to the well. They'd draw the water. They'd bring it out to the field in vessels, probably try to find a, a space under rocks or where there's some shade to keep it out of the sun. And, and now Boaz tells Ruth that she can drink that water if she gets thirsty. We don't realize how culturally upside down this story is. See, foreigners would draw water for the Jews. And women would draw water for the men. And Boaz is telling this foreign woman that she can drink the water that these Jewish men have drawn. That is the grace of God. And it comes by personal invitation. Everything about the story highlights the disparity between Ruth and Boaz. His stature, she's a stranger. But what did, Bo what did Ruth have to do? She had to come. Come here. Does that remind you of any New Testament scenes? Do you remember the discourse with, that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman who had moral problems in John 4? And she says to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. The picture of that gracious invitation that is that given to each of us have you come to him? Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And he who hears, let him who hears say, Come. And let him who is athirst, Come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Have you partaken of that water of life? Jesus is the bread of life, the water of life. Have you trusted in him? That's, that's the picture that's being laid out here. The third thing that we see, though, is the grace is revealed by an undeserved provision. The graciousness of this is amazing. You know, Boaz tells his men, okay, now, don't let her, she doesn't have to wait till you've cleaned the field. She can work within where you are. She doesn't have to wait till you've moved on. Don't rebuke her. Oh, and by the way, just go ahead and let some drop. You know, go ahead and take some handfuls and just let it fall to the ground. And they're like, Really? You know, this, we're working hard for this. See, the law required that the corners of the field be left. And, and what was dropped was to be left. 
and it was for the poor, the widows, and for foreigners. But Boaz is going far beyond the letter of the law. You see the spirit. He isn't a legalist. He's demonstrating a gracious heart. He doesn't leave Ruth out on the fringes. He tells his men to let her work among them, and, 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 and then he tells them to drop the grain, and, and we see that. I mean, this ought to be our, a characteristic of us as God's people. Are we generous? Are we kind? What does the world see in us? In, in Ephesians 4, 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So what do we do? And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. As Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem on that donkey to the shout of adoration, those shouts would turn in a few days. That what would be heard going through the air was crucify him. And what did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are we forgiving? Is that a word that would identify us? That God in Christ forgives us. Are we forgiving? The fourth thing that we see, though, is the grace is manifested through a disproportionate generosity. Now, the bounty here is amazing. It says, when evening comes, Ruth takes the stalks that she's gleaned, and now she has to thresh them. She has to beat them and get the grain, get, the, get rid of the chaff, and she ends up with an ephah of barley. Now, now, commentaries have various descriptions of what this means, but it seems that uh, the ephah of barley was about 40 pounds. They say from, from 30 to 50. So, you know, 10 pounds spread on 40 pounds. The average male harvester at that time would rarely reap more than two pounds of threshed grain. I mean, this is so over the top in generosity. And I don't know if Ruth even realizes it. You know, she's from Moab. She may be walking home saying, you know, these people in Bethlehem are really nice. You know, what a wonderful neighborhood. It's like, uh-uh, this is the time of the judges. You know, go back and read, you know, chapters 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Read about people in Bethlehem. It wasn't all that nice. But the whole situation shows the generosity of Boaz. And, and when Ruth comes home, and can, you, can you imagine, it says Naomi's watching for her. And it's probably dark because it's, and she's beat this out, she's coming home and she's struggling. It's like, oh, what happened to Ruth? Was she assaulted? Were there problems? It's like, no, she's carrying this 40 pounds of grain. She's got this heavy load of barley. Have you ever picked up a 40-pound sack of something? You know, potatoes, birdseed, dog food? You know, you know, how about a bucket of chlorine tablets for your pool? You're not going to go skipping down the road, or at least I'm not, carrying that kind of weight. And this is, this is Ruth coming home. And, and, and notice Naomi's question in verse 19. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? You, know, you didn't rip off the feed store, did you? You, know, you didn't go for the grain elevator. I mean, this, you know, we don't do that in Israel. So where did you work? The generosity is disproportionate. But isn't that God's generosity to us? Romans 5, verse 20, And where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You don't know what I've done. God's grace is sufficient. 
And it says, so that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Well, how do we see that? He gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the over-the-top generosity of God. That he gave his own son, delivered him up for you and me. How will he not give us freely all things? And this is a picture of disproportionate generosity. And the fifth thing is the grace is honored by a spirit of gratitude and trust. You know... Naomi's question was, where? Where did you work? And what Ruth answers is who? The man's name was Boaz. He point, she pointed to the one who had provided. We point to the one who provides the grace. Is that where we turn? That's what she did. You know, when somebody says, well, you know, what's different about you? Well, his name is Jesus. And this is the first time that we find Naomi responding in praise. Up to this point in the story, it's been negative. Call me bitter. I want to be identified by that because that's my life. And now she's saying, God hasn't forgotten. All of a sudden, we see Naomi's focus starting to shift. Up to this point, she's been looking behind her. Looking at what she lost, looking at the past. Ruth is looking to the future. There's opportunities. What should I do? You know, instead of considering what she didn't have, Ruth was looking at what she could do. And, and now Ruth comes home and verse 18, she had kept back some of the food and she gives it to Naomi. You know, I got you the to-go box. Enjoy, it was really good. See, grace shares with others. But you see the humility of spirit. Why have I found favor in your sight? That was the heart of Ruth. We honor grace by responding in gratitude and trust. That we would show that to the Lord. Yes, there are difficulties. You say, Lord, why? I don't understand. But I trust you. I'll come under your wings for protection. So how can we apply this personally? Number one, I want us to see that trusting God's loving kindness will protect you from a bitter spirit. Isn't it interesting that Ruth didn't adopt the attitude of her mother-in-law? I mean, she makes a 75-mile trek with her from, from Moab back to Bethlehem. She's hearing her tell the people in the village, I, my life is bitter. But she didn't adopt that. That she doesn't take that in mentality. She doesn't get an entitlement mentality. You know, as Dr. Panosian said, whatever happens in your life, nothing just happens. But I don't know why this is coming. God works all things together for good to those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. He who spared not his own son, how, how will he not give us freely what we need. And Naomi identified herself with, really the name came from after Israel had come out of 
Egypt. They'd crossed the Red Sea. They'd seen God's tremendous power and display in, in drowning the, the Egyptians who had tried to chase after them. And, and in Exodus chapter 15, you have, the story, you have the song of Moses and the song of Miriam as they talk about this great triumph. And the very next scene, the very next verses, talk about Israel complaining because the water they got was bitter. And they named the place Mara, bitter. They had just seen what God did. He's trustworthy. But don't we struggle? We see what God's done in the past and then something else comes and like, what am I going to do? God is deserving of our trust. If you know Him. And if you know Him and trust Him, then don't allow bitterness to creep in. Say, well, you don't understand. I'm around bitter people. So is Ruth. But do you have to be? And if you do, don't adopt that spirit. Because bitterness can be contagious. You know what's worse than three bitter people at a table? Four. Don't join them. Don't adopt that attitude. You know, we, we live in a culture that is bitter. People are bitter about their jobs, their marriages, their kids, their finances, their life. But for us, this, this world is not our home. God's grace is sufficient. So don't adopt that attitude. Let's keep our eyes on the future and not simply on what we've lost. Here is a woman from Moab that demonstrates more trust in the God of Israel than the woman from Bethlehem. So who would identify, would we identify with more closely, Ruth or Naomi? Second thing that we can see, though, is recognizing God's loving kindness will overcome bitterness. If you fall into that trap, if that root of bitterness springs up and starts to defile, how do we deal with it? Meditate on God's grace. Consider His goodness. Bitter people look at what they've lost, and they also tend to blame other people for it. It's not their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Hebrews 12, 15 warns against bitterness, and it uses Esau as an Old Testament cautionary example to guard our hearts. If you read about Esau back in Genesis chapter 27, you you find that he comes in one day, he's hungry, his brother Jacob is fixing some food, and, and he says, look, I'm so hungry, I want that. And Jacob is a bit of a conniver. He says, I'll trade you your birthright for it. And Esau says, What's, what good's the birthright if I die? Now, I don't think missing one meal is going to kill him. Sometimes we feel like that. But he says, you can have my birthright. And then later, he says to his father, Jacob took my birthright away. No, he didn't. It was a bad deal. But he went along with it. He gave it up. That's what bitter people do, though. They did it. They don't, they, they don't accept any responsibility. Not my fault. It's what they did. Well, what did you do? See, if we're going to overcome bitterness, we have to recognize God's loving kindness. Bitter people are great at blame shifting. But let's look to the one who bore that bitter cup for us. The one who truly was forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Christ took our bitterness on the cross so that we don't have to. Have you been wronged? 
he was wronged more. He was totally innocent. We just claim to be innocent. But Jesus Christ truly was. See, God's grace is bigger than your bitterness. Do we understand that? Because loving kindness of God will help us overcome that. And then finally, I want us to see declaring God's loving kindness will encourage others to trust in Him. It was actually Ruth coming back to Naomi that we all of a sudden see a change in Naomi's attitude. As Ruth is demonstrating and sharing the goodness of God, do we tell others about God's faithfulness? Do we share what He's done? You know, people who are devoted to God and think about God are people who talk about God. That was Boaz, the Lord be with you. He was concerned about God's blessing on his workers. Now this story isn't over. And the conclusion is a wonderful display of God's favor and his grace that's going to be extended to those who trust in him. But where it is at this point, do we identify closer with Ruth or Naomi? Do words like forgiven, redeemed, secure, safe identify us? Are you a Christian, a Christ follower? Does that word identify you today? Because the story, while it isn't over, it's a wonderful display of God's favor that He graciously gives to those who will trust in Him. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ today? If not, will you come? The Spirit and the Bride say come. If you are thirsty, come. You can enjoy the water of life, eternal life, and come under the wings of the one who will protect you from eternal fire. Have you trusted him this morning? And if you have, how are you doing in continuing to come to him for refuge? Let's look to the Lord in prayer.